This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. Great to have you with us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Technology Thursday. Some kids are upset about what their parents are putting online about them. We'll also talk about flying cars. That's at 1249. Sales at General Motors up sharply in the second quarter, but they fell short of analyst expectations. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the latest tally of new unemployment claims is out ahead of tomorrow's government jobs report for July. We're joined by Peter Cardillo, chief market economist at Spartan Capital Securities based in New York. Uh, Peter, we're just just for clarity, so everyone understands, we're talking about people who are newly unemployed, not necessarily the people who continue to be unemployed. That's correct, yes. And of course, you know, uh, uh, we saw 51,000 jobless claims decline, uh, which basically took us down to uh, uh, 364,000, uh, a pandemic low. And so it's uh, headed in the right uh, direction. However, um, for the first time in about several weeks, we did see an uptick um, in continuous claims. Um, I don't want to put too much into that right now, but obviously um, if that trend should uh, continue to move upward, that could be uh, a stalling point uh, for the healing of uh, the job market. And as an economist, is that really what you're looking at? Is is the number of people who are unemployed yet want to be working as opposed to the people who are necessarily being laid off? That's correct. And, uh, you know, there are are some reasons out there why uh, we're actually seeing uh, uh, worker shortages, and that is due to the fact that uh, um, you know, in the service sector, uh, employees uh, uh, are beginning to give bonuses to attract uh, um, em- employees. And the reason for that is uh, uh, the unemployment benefits. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, the unemployment benefits remain high. And so uh, people uh, are not that anxious to go back to work. And so going forward, I mean, is it the government? Is it businesses? I mean, it seems like something needs to be done in order to spur some of those people to go back to work. Yeah, I think so. But remember that uh, very shortly, uh, the extra benefits are going to uh, are going to uh, uh, end. And that means that uh, uh, in, in, in employees uh, will need to go back to work. And so uh, my guess is that... Uh, when that happens, we'll see a reversal of that trend. So let's uh, pivot here for a moment, talk about the global minimum tax. You have Treasury Secretary Yellen saying 130 nations have agreed to this. Can it let us know what it means? Well, it means that, um, you know, it's, uh, 130 nations is uh, basically, uh, what, almost um, uh, more, than, more than half of the nations, the industrial nations anyway, and um, that's uh, a sign that, uh, you know, uh, probably the, we're going to go forward with that. You have a global minimum tax on corporations. Um, that means everyone is going to have to uh, pay taxes. And, uh, of course, we know that uh, uh, one of the uh, 
Peralta that was the technology uh, sector um, and may have been one of the reasons why we saw some weakness. But it does now look as though uh, that proposal uh, might actually go forward. Yeah, it seems like it's gaining steam for sure. Thank you, Peter Cardillo, Chief Market Economist at Spartan Capital Securities. Just ahead, General Motors scores big in the second quarter, but not everyone is satisfied with the results. General Motors is out with its report on sales in the second quarter. Let's break down the numbers. John McElroy is joining us, automotive industry analyst and host of Autoline.tv. John, always appreciate you being with us. So uh, kind of give us the nuts and bolts here. What's going on at GM? Well, sales are up. In fact, everybody's reporting sales are up. But you have to remember, Cisco, they're comparing it to a year ago when factories were just reopening after the pandemic. Many dealerships had been shut down or people were in lockdown. A year ago, sales were terrible. So it should be zero surprise that everybody's reporting a big percentage increase in sales. But the fact of the matter is, sales are actually slowing down right now, not compared to a year ago, but compared to earlier this year, and that's because of the chip shortage. They just can't build enough cars to meet demand. So ignore those big percentage increases that General Motors and everyone else is reporting. The, the car market's actually slowing down right now. And GM stock basically flat today. So it's basically Wall Street agreeing, right? That this isn't necessarily something to celebrate because of what you're comparing it to? No, no. I mean, look, uh, automakers, not all of them have reported yet. They'll all report by the end of the day. Looks like they're going to sell about 1.3 million vehicles. That's really good. Anything over a million is good. But that's at least 200,000 vehicles fewer than they sold in May. And again, it's not that demand is dropping off. It's that the car companies just cannot build cars, enough of them, and trucks, because of the chip shortage. And how long do we expect that to last? Because we've been hearing about the chip shortage for many months now. Obviously, it's not the sort of thing that they can snap their fingers and fix. Uh, but you'd figure at some point we get past that and they can start producing the cars they want to produce. Yeah, it varies by manufacturer. Ford has been hit the hardest. I mean, it, it's lost the most production. Toyota hasn't been all that much affected by it. So it varies by company. But, yeah, when this is going to ease up, we're getting all kinds of different reports. Some people are saying it's going to be a lot better by the end of this month, July. Others are saying it's going to take until the end of the second half of this year. Some are saying it's not going to be gone until 2022. Others are saying it's not going to be gone until 2023. So now you know as much as I do as to what might happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone's got to say something, even if they don't really know. Uh, it, does that put some automakers at a competitive advantage if they're not having the same problems with the chips? Unquestionably. Unquestionably. Toyota, Hyundai's another one. Tesla is another one that have handled the chip shortage pretty well. Uh, it's it's largely uh, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. You know, that's the new name for Chrysler and all the companies it's merged with. They, they've been hit the hardest by this. And so going forward, what does this mean for consumers? I mean, prices just keep going up. Yeah, and they're going to stay high for a while. Look, once this chip shortage starts to ease up, you know, and uh, the car companies face more competition, prices will start to ease up. 
Uh, you know, it might take another year, though, before they're back to quote unquote normal. Uh, and, you know, one good thing, at least for the industry and even for the American economy, is it is unbelievable the demand that's out there for new cars right now. And it, it just shows that, uh, at least for those who can afford to buy a new car, things are pretty good for them. But, yeah, this industry is not going to get straightened out until this chip shortage gets solved. And that trickles down. I mean, we, we talk about the automakers. We, we talk about it kind of on that macro level. Uh, but for your mom-and-pop dealers, this has got to be really rough. I mean, they're selling cars at good prices. They just can't sell as many as they'd like. That's right. So, you know, there's been a good trade-off for dealers, too, though. Most of them are reporting record profits. And when I say reporting record profits, you know, these are the publicly traded ones, the big ones. But uh, because they don't have to offer discounts like they've had to do in the past, they're getting top dollars for the vehicles that they can sell. And even though they're fewer selling fewer vehicles, uh, at least up to now, they've been able to make really good money off the ones that they've sold. But, boy, inventory is tight. And... Uh, that could start to change if they don't get enough vehicles. Thanks so much, John McElroy, automotive industry analyst, host of Autoline.tv. Again, GM stock, basically flat today. Up next, traffic patterns have changed in the pandemic. We'll learn what's different now. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Another chance for you to win $1,000, keyword for cash, in moments. The pandemic has created big changes in traffic patterns. It appears some are here to stay. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Joe, help us to understand here, what has changed in these traffic patterns? Yeah, Cisco, this new data coming out is really uh, an eye-opener. It's showing uh, especially how that early morning rush hour between 6 and 8 o'clock is just down dramatically. In fact, you know, shocking levels in places like San Francisco where it's down 30%, less so in rural areas. Uh, and that traffic is moving to other parts of the day. But I think what's uh, what's evident here is that morning rush isn't coming back, even with some offices reopening, as we thought, and uh, and that traffic is moving elsewhere, and people are feeling it uh, who uh, who have shifted to midday, say. Oh, yeah. We have people, in fact, right about this time where they would normally be heading home or heading out to lunch or something, and they're saying, where's all this traffic coming from? Yeah, that's right. And we know there's been research showing when people drive less for work, they drive more elsewhere just because of that impulse to, to get out and roam and so forth. And uh, we've seen for some time that weekend traffic is a bit up. Now, overall, total driving is still down slightly since pre-pandemic. And I think some of that is due to the fuel prices. I mean, you just reported oil being back up to 75 and filling up that tank is a little more painful. Uh, but you do take away uh, work business trips that people aren't traveling, uh, road warriors, sales forces, and so forth, like before. So we have less traffic, but uh, I think that evening rush is nearly back to where it was in Chicago, and the uh, congestion's back uh, that time of day. So it doesn't seem like this is, you know, we expected it to go back to what, you know, the old normal. It seems like this is the new normal, and that morning commute's never really going to be what it was. That's right. I do think we'll have a, a blip after Labor Day when uh, a lot of offices reopen, but but there's more evidence that the flex schedule is becoming uh, in hot demand for people. And uh, 
uh, where they may take those early morning meetings from home. And it really is affecting lots of things. I mean, Uber drivers, we've heard, are really frustrated because they like that morning shift when they're, the crazies aren't out, so to speak. Uh, a lot of commuting traffic. That's uh, uh, affected their market. Of course, transit, we're scratching our head thinking what comes next for uh, commuter rail with uh, less need for morning rush hour schedule. So this will ripple through uh, the way we live. Yeah, especially because people really liked a lot of those express metro trains, and maybe they won't need as many of them. Thank you so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Still ahead, Technology Thursday, the digital footprint of children is expanding rapidly, and it's often because of their parents. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Buy. Sell. Listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. The markets are mixed. Dow up 75. NASDAQ down 22. S&P is up 15 points. Let's see what's going on. Jeff Kilberg is here, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. Jeff, always good to have you on the show. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, Cisco, we're sailing away to new all-time highs. It's remarkable to see. Here we are halftime of the year and we had a great first couple quarters and here we are in the first day of july starting the third quarter and we're seeing a new record all time on the s p 500 as well as the dow jones yes the nasdaq is a little mixed today but you're seeing a lot of leadership come out of energy energy has been the top sector year to date so these are all names that we kind of forgot about and left alone in 2020 but exxon mobile chevron conical phillips schlumberger up almost five percent so you're seeing this really coincide which may not bode well for us from a gas pumping perspective, but right now crude oil is back above $75 for the first time in a long time. And it's just balanced, right, when it comes to the, the gas pump, because, yes, it is better when oil's higher, the, those companies are doing well, and a lot of ancillary companies, and yet every dime that goes into a gas tank is a dime that's not going into other areas of the economy. Well, that's right, Cisco, and this is the balance that we're going to have to contend with in the second half. So when we talk about what does the second half look at, I'm constructive. I'm bullish on equities, despite the fact we are at all-time highs. And this is the conundrum that the Federal Reserve is in. They really want to promote and encourage inflation. We don't love inflation, but the way they measure inflation, Cisco, is without food and energy. The last time I checked, I love to eat and I drive a lot. So nonetheless, we're going to have that little, you know, fits of volatility for the next couple quarters. But I think the sectors that worked so far in the first half of 2021 are going to continue to work. So think of blue chip names, think of tangible names that we didn't really invest in the last couple of years. We were so focused on the FANG stocks, right? The Facebook, the Apple, the Netflix, the Google. But now all of a sudden there's names like Chubb. Delta Airlines, GE, GM, Waste Management, names that kind of got forgotten about. Those are really finding a lot of assets, and people are really trying to find tangible blue-chip names that should be essential moving forward in the back half of 2021. You touched on inflation. Uh, the, the Fed keeps saying they believe it is the word they use, transitory. You know, it's just going to be here for a little while. How can we figure out as investors whether that's true or not? It, it seems like if it's not, it, it may be too late, depending on how we've got our money situated. 
Well, this has been a great debate, and certainly the word transitory, that has not been a welcomed word because we hear it so often, but I think it is going to be transitory due to the fact, look at the 10-year note. When we first got a little bit spooked about inflation a couple of months ago, we saw the 10-year note move 1% all the way up to nearly 2%. Well, the 10-year notes come back under 1.5%, so that's taken a lot of the inflation alarmists, Cisco, and put them back on the sidelines. So, yes, inflation is coming, but I think the most important thing, it's not so much the conversation about inflation, it's what will the Federal Reserve do on interest rates? In my perspective, specifically the perspective of sanctuary wealth, is that we are not going to see interest rates move higher for the rest of 2020 or in 2022. Therefore, the Federal Reserve is helping us in our risk-on mode, and we're going to see markets move higher from that component. And uh, going forward, you, you mentioned the FANG stocks. You know, those have been sexy for a long time and people have liked them. Uh, is that something that we should still be looking at? I mean, it seems like an area where there's still a lot of growth potential. There is. And I think you have to understand how you own that exposure. If you own it in an overweight or a tilt, that was very expensive for the first half of 2021. But we still own, we just own those FANG stocks in an equal weighted manner. So if you look at Apple, only up about 3.5% year to date. But Apple, you talk about Amazon, you talk about some of the names that we really you know, have adhered to for growth. I think you still need those in the portfolio because those are the cash cows. But being more considerate where you see this transition or this reposition of investors into cyclicals and industrials, that will potentially diminish some of the growth stocks like the FANG stocks for the rest of 2021. Now let's talk briefly here about crypto. Uh, what do you advise investors? I'm looking in front of me here at the one-month Bitcoin chart. Man, you want to talk about a roller coaster. Yeah, you need a neck brace, but nonetheless, that's the price you pay when you're investing in cryptocurrency. So I'm a believer in Bitcoin. I think the market will move higher, but this is actually really healthy, Cisco, to see this type of volatility, which is not everyone's used to. It feels like a micro cap stock the way it's moving around, but it seems to be making a little bit of a foundation right around this 30,000 level. And I think as we see more and more information about a potential Bitcoin ETF coming out of the SEC this year, maybe that allows more of that global adoption. But Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is here to stay. I think you just have to be considerate of your risk suitability in owning the asset class. Thanks so much, Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth here in Chicago. Just ahead, it's Technology Thursday. How Sharenting is leading some kids to sue their parents. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday. More parents are posting videos and images, both cute and embarrassing. It's their kids on social media, and that could create problems down the road. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Jennifer Jolly, USA Today Tech Life columnist, founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Help us to understand the problem here, Jennifer. For it's being called sharenting. That's right. It's such a big problem in this modern day and age. When we start posting about our children, uh, we post the sonogram videos. When we find out we're pregnant, we post the day that they're born, their name. We post every year on their birthdays. And then we post about temper tantrums. We post potty training stories. Things that could someday come back to really haunt us, not only because we haven't asked our kids permission to do any of this, but also because there's a lot of people who troll for that information. They steal identities. And th there have even been arrests by the FBI where people have trolled parenting websites uh, 
for pornography, for child abuse, and and they'll take a picture of a child in a bathtub and threaten their parents and, you know, try to extort parents. So it it starts out seemingly innocuous and then can turn into a very vicious crime before you know it. So it's really, and you almost think you don't have to say this, but but apparently you do, you know, just because you posted on social media to your friends, you know, hey, isn't this cute? Isn't this great? Or even the temper tantrum. It's not necessarily going to just stay among your friends. Right. With a, a name and a birth date can open your child to identity theft. But parents also often tag a child's school in posts or pictures. Also, pictures themselves could contain EXIF, exit data, which stores the date and the time of the photo and the location. So unless you're tech savvy enough to go in and remove that information before you post a photo, which nine out of 10 parents don't do, then you could be opening up your child to a potential predator. So it's got some very real ramifications that parents just aren't thinking through when they're posting all of this sharenting, over-sharenting. And law enforcement is saying, hey, at the very least, get your child's okay before you post, no matter what. You know, you, you want to show the value of privacy and teach that in this day and age not only to children, but to parents as well. And depending on the relationship, there's even cases of parents or uh, uh, older kids suing parents because of what's happened on social media. That's exactly right. And we are seeing that more and more. 82% of parents share photos of children. And twice now, parents, uh, once a court in Netherlands, ruled that a grandmother had to take down pictures she posted on Facebook of her grandchildren because the parents and the children themselves did not give that permission. And then we've seen other uh, children go back and, and sue parents for a right to privacy because of this public information they've posted. We haven't seen it as much in America, but you know it's just a matter of time before we do. Thanks so much, Jennifer Jolly, USA Today Tech Life columnist, also founder and editor-in-chief of TechIsh.com. Join us this time tomorrow for Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come, a second dose of Technology Thursday, the once futuristic flying car now becoming part of the present. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A prototype flying car has completed a test flight in Slovakia, spending more than a half an hour in the air. We welcome Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media. Uh, Paul, I guess uh, exciting news for anyone who's stuck in traffic right now. That's exactly right. You know, we've heard, we've talked to you and I a, a bunch about air taxis, which are basically, imagine electric large drones that take off from a fixed point, uh, go from one place in a metropolitan area to another, oftentimes an airport. Awesome, really. But... The, the disadvantage of that design is that basically you're taken off and you're there without a car. Now, theoretically, at the airport, you don't need one. But then when you get in the city, you kind of do, theoretically, again. But these guys have come up with a solution, which is a, a car that transforms in three minutes from a car into an airplane. So wings extend, uh, the stabilizer in the back, the propeller all sort of show themselves when they go away. And when you get back in the air or you want to go back in the air, three minutes later, you got an airplane. And so going forward, I mean, the technology just keeps advancing. This isn't, it's a prototype, okay, but this this is coming to areas near us. That's right. In fact, literally, into your driveway if you want. Depends on how much landing area you have, the, the way they're designing it. And this, was, this first test flight was in Slovakia, by the way, uh, between two major cities landing in Bratislava. Um, but again, you know, you're going to need a, a runway-type uh, 
you know, open area to take off, obviously, the clearance you'll need, as well as to land. But once you get done, you drive to somebody's driveway. So the point is that this is total flexibility. Um, you know, it's a, it's a number of years off for reality, and certainly the FAA will have something to say about it. But it is amazing to watch this thing transform from car to airplane, airplane to air goes at this point it's powered by a bmw engine which is a fairly reliable one good news um and then uh and then you get back to where wherever you're going and you're back in traffic or back at home because you you basically have for for this to become a reality uh you know it's happening all over the place you have two things you mentioned the engine i mean this thing has to be reliable it has to be safe because if you have a problem in the air you you know it's, it's going to be really bad you also have congestion issues how are you able to patrol who's going where in the skies uh, my guess is that it's going to you're going to have to, especially in the United States, you're going to have to uh, comply with FAA regulations, which means you're going to be in, in contact with towers just like an airplane would be. So it won't be that different. Um, certainly pilot's license will be required. But back to congestion, the congestion really is is what they're trying to get away from. And that's the solution here that's so exciting. Um, what You can fly to an open area. You don't have to land where there is congestion in the air. When it comes to congestion, the skies are remarkably open. And again, if you, if you comply with those FAA regulations, you're just doing what all other planes are doing and keeping a safe distance between you. So in sum, uh, it's drive out the driveway, find an airport, fly away, land in a new city, and drive into whatever uh, place you'd like, pick up some groceries, get lunch, and fly home. (laughs) At least that's the dream. Because of that, does this end up being something mainstream, or does this just become something where people of wealth have this as, as, you know, sort of a toy? Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, it's going to be certainly uh, a, a toy for the wealthy at first. But like everything, what's happening between the drones that are electric and are, you know, taxi, point-to-point taxis, and this development, everybody's dream since the Jetsons 60 years ago has been, hey, can I hop in my flying vehicle and go somewhere? And that what's happening is the evolution is now happening quickly, both in technology and certainly in terms of regulatory uh, constraints. So what you're going to see is, yeah, this is not just going to be a toy for the rich. This will be a piece of or a kind of transportation, probably electric, uh, for the masses, uh, including all of us, you and I, um, very soon. I'd say within the next five years, you're going to see this fairly available to fairly uh, large numbers of folks. Thanks so much, Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, the replay podcast will be available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.